listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So John chapter 11. Okay, so this morning, so there are uh, two types of people mainly in this world. Um, if you are a type A person, perfectionist, things have to go according to plan, raise your hand. Raise a little bit higher. Okay. All the other people, uh, the more free spirits, the, hey man, we'll arrive when we arrive. It can start when it starts. Who, who are y'all? Okay. Anybody right there in the middle? Anybody not raise their hand? Okay, y'all are right there. Okay, so for those who are the type A, man, it's got to be just on schedule. You're probably not going to like this passage, okay? For those of y'all who are just like, yeah, man, it's, it's going to happen. You know, I don't know why I have to use that voice, but, you, you know, just a little more like that. I was in Atlanta last night, so still feeling the effects of that. Um, so that you're probably going to appreciate, man, I, like, I, th- I think Jesus is on my side. Okay, so we're going to jump into John chapter 11. We have a lot of verses to cover this morning. I want us to see 10 things from this passage. It's a lot. I had somebody tell me this past week, um, they, they tell you, it was my father-in-law. He said, he was texting me, he texted me the longest text I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I didn't respond to it because I couldn't finish it. Um, ADD. So I was just like, I don't know, just, you know. So uh, he said, how many points should a sermon have, that kind of thing? And I was just like, uh, you know, we talked later and I said, I don't know, maybe three. And he was like, yeah, good, good communicators, like no more than two points. And I was like, well, sorry, um, happy Mother's Day to all y'all. So we've got 10. So we'll see what happens. All right, John chapter 11. We're going to begin right here. As you see right there, the heading of this is the death of Lazarus. And we've seen Jesus, and this is toward the end of his ministry. He's about a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks at the most, away from going up on the cross and being put to death. And so we see here, and the I am statement this morning, if you are new with us, if you don't remember, the I am statements that we've talked about are those identity statements of Jesus about himself. So this morning, Jesus is going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So we begin here in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Several names are in here, okay? Keep in mind Mary and Martha, Lazarus, of course. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, talking about Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we have these three siblings, and as I I was thinking about uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus this week, just looking at the personality of each one of them, Martha is more of that type A. Hey, we've got to get things done. We've got to make sure. Mary is more of the one who's anointing Jesus' feet. She's just like, man, we'll just kind of figure it out. You know, Martha, don't worry about doing the dishes. You know, don't worry about preparing food. I'm going to be in here with Jesus anointing his feet with oil. I think Lazarus is probably a middle child. 
okay? I don't really have a whole lot biblically to support any of this, just so you know, uh, but just looking at them, but just know we have these three siblings right here. It seems like Martha is, it seems like Mary is the youngest, a little more freewheeling. Anybody have a youngest sibling like that? I do. His name is the chosen one. So we see here in verse number three, Lazarus falls ill and Mary and Martha, they send a, probably a letter to Jesus. It says they send to Jesus and their hope is if we tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, then Jesus is going to come and heal Lazarus. It makes sense, right? I would ask you this morning, and it says, I used to always think about this passage as they sent a messenger to him, but it's very reasonable to think that they sent a letter to Jesus saying, this is the worst thing that's happening in my life right now. So as we're sitting here this morning on May 14th, I think it is, um, what would you write a letter to Jesus talking about? If you had to write a letter to Jesus and say, man, if you could just come fix this one thing in my life, would you please come do this? What would you write a letter to Jesus about? Whatever that is, just hold it for a moment. They wrote a letter to Jesus saying he's ill. Would you please come heal him? Verse number five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Hmm. That doesn't seem like true love to me. It's like if you call 911 uh, and they say, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, if, you, if we can put you on a, on a brief hold, anybody ever, that happened to us this past week, call 911, put you on a brief hold, right? And you wait, you wait, you wait. They say, hey, you know what? It's going to be a couple more days. Can we, can we give you a call back? You're like, no, no, no. It's an emergency. Someone just, just had a car accident. I saw two car accidents this week. It was crazy. I, nobody called 911. They said, you know what? We'll be there in two days. No, but that's what happens here. Here's the first thing I want us to see, friends, is that a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. A waiting season does not have to be a wasted season. We're going to see how they, how they respond to Jesus. So he says, I'll be there in a couple of days. He stays where he was. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If everyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Here's what Jesus is saying by this, and it seems kind of weird. Jesus is often speaking in parables. He's often speaking in ways that seem confusing. But essentially, here's what he's saying. He's saying, the daylight is still up. Eventually, the sun is going to go down, and then my work will be over. My work here on this earth will be over. But my work is not yet finished. And so don't try to stop me from doing the work of the Father while there is still sunshine left in the sky. I'm still doing the work of the Father. We are going to see Lazarus. So that's verse, that's verse number 10. Look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. Like most of us, they fear death. Reasonably so. They see death as the ultimate winner. But here's what Jesus says, that it is no more difficult for me to rouse 
a dead body than it is for you to wake up one of your sleeping children. In fact, Jesus may have the easier task before him if your kids are anything like mine. When I, when I was a kid, my mom would come in my room and wake me up because I didn't want to have an alarm clock. And she would come in and it began with, you know, Michael, Michael. Then it went to like shaking me. Eventually she got to the point, no lie, where she would bring a squirt bottle in and just squirt me in the face. And that was my wake up call. All right. Happy Mother's Day. So maybe if your kids are anything like me, sleep really hard. But Jesus is like, no, man, he's just asleep. Our friend Lazarus has died. I'm going to go awaken him. You're like, ah, that doesn't really make sense. Real quick note, when the Bible uses the word asleep for someone that has died, that means that they were in the faith. Someone who was in the faith, it says they were asleep when they have died. If someone was not in the faith, if they died, it says they are dead. So we see here the distinction. Lazarus is here in the faith. Here's the second thing that I want us to see is that it is not the worst thing to die. It's bad. It is not the worst thing in the world to die, but it is the worst thing to die without Jesus. Because if you die without Jesus, apart from faith, then you will spend eternity separated from him in hell. No ifs and buts, no, ah, bad. what if I did this? But I tried my hardest, but I wasn't as bad. No, no second chances. As soon as you die, your eternity is determined. Someone told me this past week, they said, we need preachers who are going to preach hard things. And they were talking about politically hard things. There's not a more difficult thing that I can say to you this morning out of love than if you die apart from having your faith and hope in Jesus Christ and in him alone, you will spend eternity separated from him. And my prayer for each and every single one of us is that we would believe. John wrote this that we may believe. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter one and verse 21? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not the worst thing in the world to die. It's the worst thing in the world to die without Jesus. We'll keep going. Verse number 16. Oh, we'll go to 12. We'll, we'll read all these. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They don't get it. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly. <laughs> I think he just like grabs them by the ears. Let me tell you, let me speak to you slowly. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, for whose sake? For their sake. Not for Lazarus's sake. Notice that. We'll pick up on that later. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now I wish there were talking about this in my life group this past week, I think. I wish there were like emojis that went along with like how these, how words were spoken in the Bible. Cause I imagine this one would be Thomas rolling his eyes. Let us go also that we may die with him. They've just talked about Jesus. They're trying to kill you. Why would we want to go to Jerusalem and be persecuted and possibly even put to death? Here's why, friend. The third thing that I want us to see is that when Jesus shows up, even in the midst of a hopeless situation, 
He brings the hope. When Jesus shows up, even in the midst of a hopeless situation, when it seems like death is right around the corner, he brings the hope. Maybe you're there today. Maybe as you think about writing that letter to Jesus, what it would say, you're just like, man, Jesus, I'm at my wit's end. I need you to show up. Can I tell you, friend? He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He will be right there with you. His presence offers hope. We'll pick up in verse number 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. How many days? Four. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, notice here, um, we could go into a, a long uh, diatribe about the authenticity of the scriptures, but when we see little details like that, talking about how far away cities are, just know that the Bible is 100% true. And even though maybe historians or archaeologists haven't discovered every single detail about every single thing that's in the scriptures, they, they will, given enough time. The scriptures are not untrue. So those details are there for a reason. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if only. Lord, Jesus, why did you not? Anybody ever had that conversation with God? Lord, if only you would give me this. Lord, if only this hadn't happened. Lord, if only I had more money in the bank. Lord, if only. Anybody had that conversation? Yeah, like two of us. All right, Greg, me and you. I think what's beautiful about this passage, though, is that Martha is expressing her heart to Christ. She is here saying, man, at the depths of my soul, I know this isn't theologically accurate. I know, I know that my complaining shouldn't be here. If only, oh God, why, why did you not do this? Jesus, come on. She's expressing her heart to Jesus, saying, here's what I'm thinking and feeling in this moment. It's a little messy, and that's okay. Jesus doesn't say, stop it right there, Martha. How dare you question the Son of God? Touch not the Lord's anointed. No. He responds with grace and compassion in the midst of truth. Look at verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's Martha speaking to Jesus. If you, hadn't, if you had been here, my brother and I have not have died. But even now, whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Essentially, she's telling Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do now, but I know that you can do whatever you want. So she's expressing her heart like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you let me down. But you know what? You got this. You got this. Both of those things can be true at the same time. Verse 23, notice these next two verses. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Compassion, grace, truth. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right here, these two verses, here's the theological conversation that Martha and Jesus are having. Just the theological, and she's saying, I know this is going to be true in the future. I, I've heard you talk about this. He is going to be resurrected to life eternal. I know that's going to happen sometime in the future. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 25. 
Jesus here, he makes it personal. Verse 25, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. She says, one day he is going to be resurrected. He's going to be brought back to life. Jesus says, your hope is not in an event. Your hope is not in a better place, even in heaven. Your hope is in a person. And I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. By believing in Jesus, we can have life while our bodies are aging and decaying. By believing in Jesus, that's the fourth thing this morning. By believing in Jesus, we can have life while our bodies are aging and decaying. And somebody said, amen. Some of y'all need to say amen. <laughs> you feel that. Man, we're, we're getting older. We're, death is unavoidable. And Jesus says here, you can experience life. I am life. You can experience me. I am resurrection. And that invitation is both to the worst person in this room, the worst person that you've ever met, and the best person in this room, the best person that you've ever met. The offer is there. And Jesus, saying, Jesus is saying, I am am that life. You can find life nowhere apart from me. There is no hope apart from me. Look at verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. If you look there at verse number 26, and everyone who lives, that word lives literally means comes to life. So what Jesus is saying is everyone who comes to life, who comes to me and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked the question to Martha. And I'm gonna ask the question to you this morning. Do you believe that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose conquering hell, death, our enemy? Do you believe that? Because in the midst of your disappointment, of your depression, of your illness, of those around you who are struggling, of your loneliness, of your poor parenting, your only hope is Jesus do you believe that? Because Jesus says, I am resurrection. I am life. He is your only hope. Whatever your letter to Jesus says. We'll keep going. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which, which sister said this again? No, no, which sister just said this? Mary just said this, right? Which sister said it before back in verse 21? Martha. They both say the exact same thing. They've been talking for at least the past four days while Lazarus has been dead. 
man, if Jesus were only here, then this wouldn't have happened. Here's the next thing I want you to see is just because you're delayed doesn't mean you're denied. Just because your request to God is delayed does not mean that it is denied. Then verse 33, we see here in these next three or four verses, the humanity of Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. The shortest verse in the, in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. A couple of reasons that we may suspect that Jesus is crying here. It's not often that we see a man cry in our culture. And so you may think, oh man, Jesus is crying just because we know that he's, uh, he's emotional. Um, he's, he's just, you know, he's not really a man's man. Can I say Jesus was a man's man? He grew up uh, either as a stonemason's son or a carpenter's son, depending on how you want to translate that. His father was either a stonemason or a carpenter. Jesus walks around everywhere he goes. Some of you are like, oh yeah, well, I've got an F, you know, 1850. And I, that's a, no, no, Jesus walking everywhere he goes, all right? Jesus has nowhere to sleep. He sleeps wherever he finds a rock. He has nowhere to lay his head. In fact, when Jesus runs into religious people, what does he do? He pulls out his whip, Indiana Jones style, and goes to town. Jesus is a man's man. He's not crying because he's weak. What else is crazy? Jesus knows the future, right? So you would think, Jesus has just told them already, I'm going to raise Lazarus back to life. So why are you crying? Uh, this afternoon, the Celtics play the 76ers. And if you want to join Pastor Caleb um, in praying for a Celtics uh, W, then you can. Um, so they're playing game seven. But I guarantee you that if I said to Caleb, today, 100%, the Celtics are going to win. He's going to say, okay, Sure. If I said, Caleb, I will give you my entire year's paycheck and every single amount of money they have in the bank, he'd be like, ah, that seems like a real dumb move because we haven't seen the game yet. But if I said, Caleb, I guarantee you that the 2022 NBA champion is going to be the Golden State Warriors, he's going to say, well, yeah, that happened last year. They won last year. You can watch it not on ESPN, but on ESPN Classic. So what Jesus is doing here, it's not like watching ESPN like on the edge of your seat. Man, I don't know what's going to happen. This is a live sporting event. Everything that happens with Jesus is like ESPN Classic. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows the thoughts and the intentions of every man's mind and heart. And so why here is Jesus crying if he knows what's about to happen? He knows the power that he has. Go back and look at, look at this passage with me. When it says that he's deeply moved here, literally that means it's like the snorting of horses or a visceral cry of anger. So it's not just deeply moved like, oh, I'm incredibly sad. He is angry. He's angry sad. Notice, go back and look. 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, then he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus already knew that Lazarus was dead. That's not when he started crying. He started crying when he saw into the window of Martha and Mary's eyes these tears that represent the consequence of sin. He said the consequence of sin is death and it has moved them to tears. Here's why Jesus cried. He saw them crying because here's the next thing I want you to see. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. That's why Jesus was weeping. He's weeping for humanity. He's weeping for Martha and Mary and the others that are there. He sees them move like, man, the consequences and the effects of sin, it, it messes up everything. And those who I've created in my image, now they must die a physical death. Jesus here reveals a God who is not distant, who is not uncaring, but a God who feels our pain, who shares in our grief, who is tempted in every way just like we are. He identifies with us. Romans 12, I think it's in verse number 15. Paul tells us to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's easy for us to look at those around us who are suffering the consequences of sin, especially those of us who maybe are even our enemies, combative to the good news of Jesus Christ, combative to the church, and we get mad. Not this kind of mad, not compassionate mad, but mad because you've hurt me. Our hearts should break, not because they hurt us, but our hearts should break because they are experiencing the effects of sin and because they are under the control and reign of our enemy, the devil. Our hearts should be for them. Our hearts should mourn for them in their lostness, not because they hurt our feelings on social media, that's what Christ is doing here for us. He says, you poor humanity. I hate that sin has ravaged your souls. And then look at verse number 39. Then if you look back at verse number 37, sorry. But some of them said, these are the cynics. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I love these kind of folks. They're just such an encouragement. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And probably this was a stone. It wasn't just one body laying in there. It was probably several bodies, maybe fam a family or a group of families that uh, these bodies were in this cave here. And the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now Martha, the sister of the dead man, Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Some of you are like, bro, some of you ladies are like, my husband doesn't even have to be dead for four days for him to stink, you know? <laughs> like, he showered like four hours ago, and it's already, man, it's, it's rough. 
Here's why the four days is important. We saw it already. It's because according to tradition, uh, the first couple of days that someone was dead, they believed that the spirit of that person was near the body. But after four days, the spirit was completely gone. So day four, there is absolutely no chance that this person is coming back to life. In the KJV, maybe you have the, the King James Version, it actually says here, when it talks about the odor, it says, he stinketh. So Martha comes up to him, which, I mean, KJV, that's the version that Paul had. So um, it's, it says, he stinketh. That was for free. But can I tell you something, friend? It doesn't matter if Lazarus had been dead for four minutes, four hours, four days, or 400 years. When Jesus speaks, life shows up and your story changes. That's the next thing I want you to see is that when Jesus speaks, life shows up and your story changes. Jesus is like, I don't care what he smells like. I don't care how long he's been dead. Up to this point, death had always won. And maybe that's true in your life. Maybe you say, but yeah, but you don't understand what I'm hiding over here. You don't understand what I'm trying to keep covered up. You don't understand the pain that I'm dealing with. You don't understand that I don't want to bring this into the light. You don't understand how bad my interior world stinks. You don't understand Jesus. And Jesus steps in and says, roll away the stone. Because I'm bringing life where previously there was death. Whatever death you want to bring and lay on the table, I've got it. I'm speaking life over that. He says, roll away the stone. Verse 40, here's where Jesus shows up. And all God's people said, hallelujah. Okay, now there's like six of us. The rest of y'all probably some pancakes left. You know, thanks for being here. Okay, so verse number 39. Jesus says, take away the stone. Verse 40, sorry. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? That's why I'm doing this. That you may see the glory of God if you believed. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Why is Jesus doing this again? Not just for Lazarus, but for those around that they may see and believe. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Scholars would say, namely Charles Spurgeon. He would say the reason that Jesus used his name here, Lazarus, because if he hadn't, all the dead in the graves would have come out. And Jesus wanted Lazarus to come out. Here's what I think is interesting about this, is if you think about it from the perspective of Martha and Mary, they wanted a healing, but Jesus wanted a resurrection. Mary and Martha, they said to Jesus, we want a healing, Jesus says, I got even more than that. I want a resurrection, amen? Here's the next thing I want you to see is that if God always meets your expectations, he has no room to exceed your expectations. Ephesians chapter three and verse 20. Paul writes this as he transitions from the first three chapters 
of Ephesians to the second three chapters of Ephesians, talking about his theology into his praxis. Here's, here's how we live. He says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. You're like, man, if God could only do this. It's like, nah, you got no idea what God can do. Yeah, but I've got some really high expectations for God. Man, just get out of the way with your little low expectations. Move over. Healing, I'm bringing in life to death. Paul says, according to the power at work within us. You're like, yeah, 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 but that was Paul. Yeah, but that was Jesus. No, no, no. We have the spirit. This is the power at work in us. To him be the glory in the church. Not to him be the glory, thanks be to Christ. To him be the glory in us this morning, in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. He says, get out of the way. Maybe another way of saying this is, don't place a period where God has put a comma because he is not through writing your story. He's not through with you. Don't set your expectations so low. Now we get to verse number 44. The man who had died, I don't know why he he doesn't just say Lazarus. I mean, we know him. Anyway, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, you know, if we were going to make this into a movie, he'd probably come out with, you know, like a nuclear halo, like around him and it would be, oh, here's Lazarus coming forth. In reality, what we see here in verse 44 is this is more like an extra in a Michael Jackson thriller music video, okay? He comes out and he's all bound up. He can't see where he's going. He's probably stumbling. He's walking like this. He looks like a mummy. I'm sure people are like, what in Jesus, what are you thinking? What is wrong with you? So he comes walking out. He takes off his grave clothes. He puts on his grace clothes for the sake of those around him so that they may see and believe. Listen, friend, here's the next thing. I don't know which number this is, eight or nine. Somebody can tell me later. But what happens in you is not just for you. It is for you, but it's not just for you. But it's from him and it's for those around you. Your life is a satellite. It reflects the glory and the light of Jesus Christ who is redeemed, who brings life. We saw back in verse number 42. What does Jesus say? Uh, I, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe. And if you keep going down, look at verse number 45. Right after they see this, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. That was the goal. That was the purpose. There are going to be two responses to the authority, to the person, to the work, to the deity of Jesus Christ. One is belief. The second one, verse 46. We saw it again back up in verse number 37. They're going to be cynical. There's going to be rejection, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees, the good religious folks, and tattletailed on them what Jesus had done. Can you believe that Jesus raising people back to life? That's so Wait, that's awesome. No, no, that's bad. That doesn't help us at all. Jesus did this so that you may believe. Jesus knew this, that death is an enemy that comes for all of us. 
the last time you were at the funeral, it felt like in that moment on this earth, the most helpless and hopeless situation because in that moment, death had had the final word. But here, Jesus says, that's not true anymore. Because back in verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So even though you think death has the final word, and it may in this life, now I have the final word as long as you believe in me. The fight with death wasn't even fair. And when Jesus raises from the ground himself back to life, that's the knockout punch for death. And that's the hope that we have is in a person. But if we keep going down, look at verse number 50 with me. I'm not going to get into the, all the context of this. If you, look, well, if you look at verse number 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one man, better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Here Caiaphas is saying that like, yeah, yeah, we we need to kill Jesus. He has no idea the theological impact of his words. He has no idea. He's saying it in jest. Do we want to kill all the Jews? No, we'll just kill the person that they revere as their leader. This guy, Jesus. But it's better for us, friend, that he die in our place. That's the only way that we can experience resurrection and life. Here's the last thing that I want us to see, is that the resurrection died so that us, the dead, could be raised. The resurrection, Jesus Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection, just a few days after this, he goes and he dies so that we could be raised. You see, this is how we're different than Jesus. We have life, but Jesus is life. You and I can lose our lives. And statistically, there's a really good chance that's going to happen. But Jesus Christ can never lose his life. You you say, yeah, yeah, but you just mentioned the cross. What about the cross? On the cross, Jesus laid down his life. And in the resurrection, he proves that death cannot take his life from him. It is impossible. He is the king over life and over death. And he says, I am life. I am resurrection. And the call to follow Jesus is one where you lay down your life in surrender to him and in in sacrifice to others. And that's where capital L, this way, sorry, capital L, life exists, is in surrendering this physical life for the eternal of saying, I want to make you Lord and master and savior of my life. I want to find my hope, my satisfaction, and my security in you, and I want to live for you no matter what happens in this world. Because life can be found nowhere else. Nowhere else except for you. He doesn't promise you a problem-free life, but what he does promise you is that he will be present with you in every single up and every single down. 
in every single mountaintop, in every single valley. Jesus promises whatever you wrote in that letter this morning, whatever you said, man, if he could just fix this, he may not, but he promises that he is with you in the midst of that. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. So I would plead with you to believe in him, to surrender to him. Lazarus died again. You are going to die. Every single one of us is going to die. But if you are in Christ, you will be resurrected to life. He alone is our hope. He said already that the glory of God is most clearly seen on the cross. He said, look at my glory. You can see it on the cross that you may believe. Jesus climbed on that cross. He took the wrath of the father on himself that we may believe. And so I would plead with you this morning to place your faith and your hope in him and him alone. He died and he rose for you. So die to self so that you may rise with Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are yours. We thank you that the cross was not yours, that the wrath was not yours, that the tomb that they laid you in was not yours. But you did all of that. You took all of that so that you could redeem your people, your children, those that you love. We are yours. Thank you for suffering, for being raised back to life for us. It's through the blood of Christ that we pray. Amen.